I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. All right, guys, welcome episode four of the Purple Patch podcast. And this is coming off of a fantastic and, might I say, somewhat inspiring conversation with Sami Inkinen last week. Such a wealth of knowledge, wisdom, and really at that intersection of work, life, and sports performance. I can't think of a better case study to actually start our discussions and interviews than with Sami the Bull. It was fantastic. And today, we're going to take some of the concepts that we went through with Sami, some of the discussions that he and I had last week, and we're going to try and make it practical. So this week, you're stuck with me, myself, and I, and I want to draw from last week and now expand into how do you actually plan and execute your endurance training? It doesn't matter whether you're an obsessive triathlete or you're purely a fitness enthusiast. We are going to focus on solely the first purple patch pillar of performance, your endurance training, and how do we conceptually really apply that to your life? So hopefully, this is gonna start to enable you to create an action plan for yourself. But before we do that, before we dive into the juicy details, I think we gotta do word of the week, don't you? Let's go. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the And this week for Word of the Week, I'm going to go all English on you. We're going to be talking about tea. Yes, afternoon tea. It sounds very English. It sounds very royal family, although trust me, I am not royal family. But this is all about actually work and life performance. Have you ever felt really productive in the morning at work and by the afternoon you're getting a case of the slumps? I think we all have. A loss of focus, an inability to make smart decisions or really think critically, and of course the drowsiness. You just want the day to be over. I must get more sleep tonight. I need to reach for that red ball, that monster energy, or even a cup of coffee. No, 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 no. The cure-all, the fix-all, the English had it right, is going to be tea. And we're going to explore that in Word of the Week. There can be lots of reasons for you getting the slumps and a drop of energy in the afternoon. It can be exercise load, of course, or training load. It can be sleep quality. And even your daily nutrition can have a role. But how should we actually counteract that fatigue? That's what you want to know. Just tell me what to do. Because we can't lose a third of every workday with a loss of productivity because you're getting the slumps. Well, the first thing is don't do's. So what I don't want you to do is reach for a sugary beverage. That just creates a short-term spike of energy and a crash that follows. You also shouldn't really grab a coffee in the afternoon because the vast majority of people might experience a little bit of a raise in energy but there's a high chance it is going to disrupt the quality of your sleep at night and there begins the vicious cycle so it's going to help you to really understand why is this happening take the best steps to bring energy up for hopefully a lasting period well first a contributing cause to this is often general hydration so often fatigue and sleepiness comes with you being dehydrated so the first step is is embrace daily hydration. Drink your water, kids. Oh, and the frequent pee breaks, they are not a disruption. In fact, 
they're a performance enhancer. It's a chance for you to move your body, which is what we're designed to do, refresh from work and return to your tasks with focus. But it's not always just hydration that's the problem. It's actually down to your circadian rhythm. Let me explain. At night, your body goes into a great state of restoration. Yes, sleep is your best recovery tool. You're going to hear me talk a lot about that in the coming weeks. But a part of your restoration is that your system or your body cools. And that's a really good thing. When you wake up, your core temperature rises, you get ready for work, and you are alert, alive, and productive. Well, nighttime and sleep is not the only time that you experience that dip in core temperature that's related to your natural circadian rhythm. It's a mini event that occurs, if we want to call it that, in the afternoon. It's no wonder that the Spanish embrace siesta. They were actually pretty smart. So when the slump occurs, it's actually in part due to a drop in your core temperature. It's a time of restoration and therefore a drop of focus, a little bit of drowsiness, and of course, a loss of productivity in the workplace. So what can we do? We can't just take on the Spanish and have a three hour nap in the afternoon. We want to get that core temperature up. So all you have to do is simply drink a hot drink, mine myself, mint tea in the afternoon. You might want hot water with lemon. You might want a different type of tea, but I would avoid, if I were you, caffeinated beverages in the afternoon because of that disruption of sleep. So you want to skip the sugar, skip the caffeine. The result, you raise the core temperature, it increases alertness, you're tricking the body, almost like it's the morning, but there's no negative effect. And the good thing is that the energy spike that you get is smooth and longer lasting. Sounds like I'm selling pills here or something, doesn't it? So yes, I am English. I was raised on afternoon English tea. But you know what? This is the one little area that we did have something right. So embrace the occasion. I would even say make it a ritual, but do it as a part of your performance toolkit. Afternoon energy, tea is the word of the week. And now this is the meat and potatoes. Let's get cracking on the main event. So our main discussion today, guys, is planning your endurance training, a practical guide for you. Before we dive into the juicy details of today's discussion, I think we have to actually refresh from episode one. I just want to remind you from a few weeks ago, the discussion that we had around why we train. So very, very quickly, remember that we train to improve or, of course, arrive at your races ready to perform if you're a competitive athlete. The mission of training, as we should remember, is to maximize training load while achieving positive adaptations. And if you remember, we talked a lot about that with training stress and how it integrates into the big systems of stress that we have to manage on a busy life, be it work, family, travel, and everything else. So the context for us when we think about our mission, is to build and execute a training approach that integrates into the stresses of life. We cannot separate, but we want to view as a cooperating and interacting entities. And finally, I really encourage you to adopt an athletic mindset. So you may not be competitive, you may participate, but not even be a podium chaser, 
But in order to improve, whether it's your waistline, whether it's getting ready for an Ironman, whatever it might be, we must have four key magic performance words. And without diving into the details, those were specificity, consistency, progression, and patience. And out of that, results flow. So how do we do this? Let's get down to brass tacks and build your approach today. There are gonna be three main sections of today's discussion. The first, planning your training. So setting up a context of endurance training within a very busy time-starved life. We then need to talk about executing your training, part two, how to adapt and evolve in any given week, because ultimately, let's face it, life is typically chaos. And then finally, we're going to talk about the basics, the mantra for all purple patch athletes, nailing the basics. We're going to finish with the non-negotiable basic habits that you must dial in to really improve your results. And so let's talk about planning your training. So let's dive into part one, planning your training. And this is really, really important. And in fact, most people spend a lot of time creating spreadsheets, creating wonderful roadmaps. But I wanna get more down to the conceptual level and talk about the mindset and practical approach that you can do to frame your training success as you go through. Let's first talk about the typical approach. When someone approaches me and they might say, I'm training for X, I'm training for a marathon, I'm training for an Ironman, whatever it might be, the very first question that they often ask is, how many hours a week do I have to train? And of course, that's coming from a place because they're worried immediately that they've bitten off too much than they can chew. I'm training for an Ironman, a colossal thing to do in a busy life, and I have everything else that I have to be able to perform well. And that's my work, and that's making sure I'm getting sleep. Hopefully I can create this social life. So the natural question is that, how many hours a week do I have to train? But unfortunately for many, there is a preconceived notion of the number of hours necessary in order to be successful. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a presentation, and so I asked the people that were in attendance there, how many hours a week do you think that you have to train to be successful in Ironman or half Ironman performance? And across the whole of the room, the answers that flowed tend to be in the range of 18 to 22 hours a week of training. Wow. That is a lot of hours, if you think about it, for someone that is working, potentially has a family, hopefully has a social life. To be successful, you have to train 18 to 22 hours a week. So my follow-up question was, that's really interesting. How many people in here have 18 to 22 hours a week to train? No one put up their hand. Houston, we have a problem at least a misalignment of the belief of what it takes to be successful with the reality of the landscape of your life. So what we have as a result is too many people chasing the unsustainable. And this is really bad. But why? Why is it really bad? Well, it's all about execution. Planning is one thing, and pretty spreadsheets look great with wonderful and crisp periodized three weeks of training on hard, one week of training off. But the truth is that it doesn't fit the reality of so many people's lives. If our training is unsustainable, so in other words, too high of a load commitment relative to the honest ongoing availability that you have. And then you're stuck with a couple of pretty poor options. The first is you force it. 
I'm motivated, I am going to make this be. But unfortunately, if you force it like a bull in the china shop, there will be compromises. Sleep almost always gives. That's the first thing. I have so much time. I have so many commitments. What's the first thing that I can give? I'm going to sleep less. There's going to be a lower performance yield from the work that you put in. There will be a knock-on on the effect of your daily energy, the times that you need to thrive in the other components of life. And quite typically, there becomes a strain on relationships and actually a strain on your own love of the sport. Because ultimately, no one thrives when they're consistently over capacity. I think we shouldn't forget either eating and the other habits. When you have reduced time and you're trying to force a square peg in a round hole, you tend to get rushed on fueling and you potentially reach for quick fixes and ultimately less healthy solutions. And that has an effect on your performance yield and again, of course, the knock-on effect of your daily energy and balance throughout the day. By hitting all of a very big program that is ultimately unsustainable, you get an increased risk of injury through immune system suppression, and it's too much stress for you to positively adapt. We also have, of course, not just the risk of sickness, we have the risk of injury, musculoskeletal breakdown, and it's that thing again, too much stress for us to positively adapt. But all of the above, even if you do manage to navigate through the whole of your training plan without getting sick, without getting injured, there's still a high risk of you showing up to an event, what we call fit and fatigued. And that's obviously the antithesis of what I love, fit and fresh. Is it really the best route to performance? If training becomes a monkey on your back, you will rip the monkey off, I promise you. And long term, you cannot create consistency. One of the four magic words of performance. Okay, so then what's your other option in this scenario? With the barometer being the accumulation of hours, but this training program being unsustainable, there's the other side of this equation where you're consistently trying to force an unsustainable training program into life. But the reality is that you're going to miss X percent of the sessions weekly and let's just say 25% well what ends up happening is athletes feel like they are failing because they have little path or understanding or empowerment to actually trim or scale the sea of training is all the same it just looks like chicken soup so where am I going to actually navigate through and integrate with a busy life so you arrive at your races and you've actually achieved 75% of a big program, but the natural human instinct is to focus on that 25% that you missed. And the confidence that comes into it is eroded because you say, I am not prepared. The program to get me there with my preconceived notion was I've got to do 18 to 22 hours a week. I couldn't do it. I only hit 75% of it. And right or wrong, it's human instinct. I must be failing. That is not a great way to go into your best race performance. So we cannot force a rigid training program into life. As I like to say, life is not a spreadsheet. So how do we map and manage training? So four little sections. The first is you want to assess your life's landscape so we understand what we're working with. Then we want to develop an annual calendar of focus or what I like to say is when to be appropriately obsessed. 
We want to be able to establish a hierarchy of your weekly training to identify specificity and then provide tools for us to do necessary scaling and management as life naturally gets in the way. And then finally, we need to understand how to manage that training on a weekly basis. The key thing to understand here is this isn't just purple patch methodology. There are lots of ways to skin a cat. There are many great coaches out there. This approach and mindset for a time start individual fits with almost any methodology. So we won't dive in today into specific intervals or season structure or periodization or anything like that. I'm not going to tell you how to train for a marathon. This goes across levels. This goes across sport. So let's set up your regular weekly planning and training. We begin with the life's landscape. What I want you to do to start is we're gonna actually take a step back and think about your regular life. Before you have the crazy vacations or travel with work, your most regular week template that you have. And what you should do is go through and identify the blocks in the week and we call this the always, often, sometimes routine. Identify the blocks in the week that you can always train, obviously always being in parentheses, and you designate time, you leave slot for travel, transition to the workout, post-workout fueling, but you have blocks in the week in which you can always train. Those are gonna be the blocks of time that you're gonna utilize or plan your key sessions in. Now remember when you're doing this, aim for consistency and not for lofty and unrealistic ambition. The second thing that you do, now that you've got your little mini spreadsheet and you've got your always blocks, now you go through and you identify places that you can often train. So for committed athletes, that might be a second session in the afternoon, or it might be following your morning key swim, you get to do a little bit of a run. For me, Friday, I often can, but I'm also frequently traveling on Fridays. And so that's not a regular always can, that's an often schedule for me to exercise or me to train. And then finally, there are sometimes, if you're lucky, if life ebbs and capacity increases and you have space, you might be able to integrate a training session into that. So that might be a Monday morning session, it might be a second weekend day, whatever it is, but occasionally when you do have a bit of capacity, you have the sometimes blocks. Once you've gone through this remarkably simple approach, the first thing that you do is you map it and then you review it. And you give it a little bit of a stress test with questions. Is this realistic? I'm not chasing utopia, I'm chasing reality. And there are no prizes for overambition in this process. And then the second thing is you look at, how about my sleep? Because we know that sleep is your best performance weapon. So can I program seven or more hours consistently into this puzzle that I've created? And then the final piece of the stress test is, am I actually affording myself a little bit of self-time, some downtime for social life, for family? Is there space in here? Or am I just scheduled from morning until bedtime in the evening without any time for a little bit of breathing space and a little bit of this magic word, nothing? And I think that's really important. Now remember, throughout the season or year, you won't always need or want to fill in every single hour here. We're gonna aim for a baseline of sustainability. That's the mindset that you look through. Well, as we progress then, with this landscape, now becomes the question, 
how do I optimize these training hours? If we go back to the top of this call, we said, how many hours a week do I have to train? Well, the question that we come up here is critical. We've gone through life landscape. We've got a realistic and sustainable block of work that we can do as our baseline. And now the question is, how many hours a week do we have to train? If we remember the discussion last week from Sami Inkinen, we talked about how 12 hours a week was the reality-based sustainable training program that he could do. And if we applied 16 hours a week, he would have failed. So the real key point in Sami's case is not that 12 hours a week is better than 16, it's that it was appropriate for him. And that's the lens that you should look through here. Now, how do I optimize these available hours? This is the backbone of how one builds their sustainable baseline training program. So let's go through a little bit of case study at this point. It's 10 hours a week of training time. And remember, this is our baseline or our default. So in any given week, we might actually add a little bit of training load. Life might give us a breathing room, maybe the family away traveling and you have the whole weekend to yourself. And so we might actually have, and we should give ourselves license to increase training load. At the same time, we might have to reduce our training load, travel, deadlines, family commitments. But the mission is gonna be that we hold on to the key elements of training, the most specific, but we're gonna strategically reduce the overall training load of the week or the overall training hours a week to synchronize with the flow of life, the fact that life is bringing us extra commitments. And this is our starting point as we move to part two. So as we've progressed to part two now, we wanna think about the big picture, the 10,000 foot lens. If your daily workout was your 1,000 foot lens, and then we think about a block of work or a week of work being your 3,000 foot lens, now we start to think about seasonal planning and, and actually a little bit of management on that component. I think triathlon specifically, but endurance athletes globally have this magical on-off switch. I am either on or I'm off. But I think that we need to think about that on-off switch as being a bit a little bit more fluid, almost like the volume of a stereo. So in part two, we're going to talk about seasonal obsession, the big picture. When am I going to ramp up and when am I going to dial it back a little bit? And so if you're training for an event, if you establish an event out there and you cast it out in the future, there is a natural and suitable time to dial up your obsession. In the six to 14 weeks before your actual key event that you're really getting ready for, that might be a block of time where you do some strategic planning and actually some commitments. You get all of the key sort of stakeholders in your life, be it your boss, be it your family and you actually say these are the weeks that triathlon or my endurance sport be it marathon whatever it might be bubbles up to the surface of importance in my life and so that's a time where it's i would say suitable obsession it's not that you cascade off it's not that you become crazy it's not that you neglect everything else but we just know that you're dialing it up and i think it's really important at that time when you're training for an event to say i need to get family buy-in at this time so to sit down with your partner plan the weekends and it's not to say that in this last block of work every single weekend should be consumed by your training. Quite the reverse, in fact, I would urge you to identify 
two, three, maybe up to four weekends that you say, give me this for myself. Give me the morning on a Saturday that I can go out and I can train and get ready for this very important personal event for me. But the other weekends, you frame the family around and you integrate training into it. So there's always a little bit of ebb and flow so that you can cast your focus across both your family and friends, as well as, of course, the training that you're getting ready for. So those are the two to three key weekends that you're going to schedule higher training load. In reverse of this, though, if we scan out to the big picture for the rest of the year, outside of this last month, two months, three months that you're getting ready for a key event, it has to be in reverse at very busy times. Times of holiday, family vacations, you can suitably dial back obsession and therefore you have to suitably dial back load. But I think at this point you should not underestimate the value of not going backwards. So if we remember one of our key performance words was consistency and we want to couple that with actual specificity of training. So by having a really key focus component, it doesn't mean that you have to be maximizing the hours that you're training every single week of the 52 weeks of the year. So when it's off season, when you're finished with your event, when times get very busy, have the willingness to dial back, bring down the load of training, but be on a quest to retain specificity and to make sure that you're not going backwards and you're progressing still, albeit with a slightly smaller training load. The third element that we have to look at is now bringing it down to that 3,000 foot lens. Let's think about the landscape of the week and let's discuss planning and executing that component. Well, I talked about retaining the specificity, making sure that you can identify the key sessions of the week. Realize that if you're a time-starved individual, it's absolutely impossible to look at your training as chicken soup. Not every workout that you're going to do should be created equal. And that's actually a component of specificity to train, not exercise to yield results, but also to empower you as a time-starved individual to make the unfortunate but reality pragmatic-based approach or decisions to actually say, I might need to peel back training on a particular late week because life is bringing it to me. And so every single athlete or fitness enthusiast that we work with, we want to ensure that they have a firm grasp on the key sessions of the week and those are the sessions that are typically the most challenging, but they're providing you with the specificity. Let's use an example as a runner. You can imagine that if you were running seven days a week, two or three of those days might be interval driven or hill driven or a tempo workout or a key race specific marathon workout. Whatever the session, whatever the nuts and bolts of the specificity might be, those would be your key sessions. But in support of those, we have the aptly named supporting sessions. And the role of your supporting sessions of the week is either general endurance to facilitate recovery from a previous key session, to prepare yourself to have best results in an upcoming key session, or of course some element of technique or skill. So by creating a hierarchy for yourself and really embracing that, understanding any given week or block of work has your key sessions and supporting sessions, you are now equipped with empowerment to actually manage. And that is the fourth component to it. 
how do I actually manage this training program? I've planned my block of focus. I have a training program that is integrated into life rather than I'm trying to force unsustainably into life. But now on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis, I have to be able to be equipped with a smart plan of decision-making because it's not just about punching the clock. It's not just about hitting every element of the training program. In fact, if you do that, you're going to run into a corridor of fatigue. Instead, we need to actually think about the training program as a living document. That's the way that you want to think about it. I've planned, and now I need to execute, and that might mean that the plan, even though I've spent a lot of time and energy, and it's a wonderful plan, or it's written by the world's best coach, we have to actually execute it in parallel and an integrated mindset with the reality of life. So your first mission when it comes to endurance training management is to retain the integrity of the specificity. So in other words, in any given week, you want to retain the key sessions. Those are the sessions that are the heartbeat of your specificity. And then you have to be willing, without guilt, without thinking that you're failing, you have to be willing to scale based on either an honest assessment of your deep fatigue or the fact that life has got in the way and you don't have enough time, you might have to actually scale some of the other supporting sessions. And this actually tangentially brings up the value of really having a consistent structure to any individual workout. We always break down, and for me, triathlon coach, swim, bike, or run, we always break down any singular workout into really four main pieces. The warm-up, and the action of that is to prepare the body for upcoming work so that's very easy it's low stress you're not trying to get fitter you're trying to move blood around the body and then we have a pre-main set which is a short set that's either there to work on something technical or to prepare the system for the upcoming meat and potatoes the main set that we're going to have then we have the main set itself as i said the meat and potatoes that should take up somewhere between 50 to 60 percent of the entire duration of the workout And then we might do something else on the back end, an additional piece, maybe a little bit of speed work, a little bit of recovery even. But that is the structure of a workout. And that gives you the tools to actually start to manage your workout. Because if you have to scale because of fatigue, you might actually adjust the meat and potatoes. It's really hard intervals today, but I need to be equipped to know that I might take out some of that intensity. If you're scaling for time, that might be reducing, not eliminating the warm-up, absolutely reducing the pre-main set, chopping off the additional work that we have, but retaining the main meat and potatoes as much as you can, the thing that is providing the specificity. So back to the top, we've got key and supporting sessions. We've got the ability to scale and ultimately the absolute necessity for you to not look back in anger when you actually do have to scale. Unless there's a really key race-specific or dress rehearsal type session, typically I don't ask an athlete to redo a session that they've actually had to scale because of fatigue, and I typically don't ask them to make up a session if they had to miss it because of life. Roll along and realize that consistency and layering weeks and weeks of training for a highly motivated person is going to be the thing that's going to create the fabric of success. And with this, 
you need to eradicate guilt, that magic word. If you are truly fatigued and then embrace the rest and recovery or the scaling without guilt, life gets in the way, guess what? Life brings rest days. Don't worry about it too much. You are not lazy and you are not failing. It is a part of integrating sport into a really busy life. And that comes all the way back to remembering our mission. We are looking to thrive in sport and work and life and health. We are not professional athletes where everything is centered around sport. And I think it's really important to realize that success is not mapped on this session or this week, but it's mapped over consistent application of specific training over many, many months. Realize that 20 weeks of executing 10 weekly average hours, that's 200 hours. And I bet that the event that you're getting ready for is going to create fitness over 200 hours a week of training applied for you to be successful within context of your life. The final thing I'll say is looking forward for a planning tip and a management tip. You have your plan. Now you want to manage and execute your training. The best thing that you can do is the Sunday special. What's the Sunday special, you might ask? The best use of your time, typically on a Sunday as we work on a Monday to Sunday work week for most of us, is to spend a little bit of time, and it might be 15 minutes, it might be an hour, for you to look at the week ahead. You to go through your training program, look at the key sessions, understand the intent of them, and then look at what's happening in your life. And if planning needs to happen to adjust, to scale, to remove, whatever it might be, you do that ahead of time. Because that little transition, that little bit of planning and investment of thought ahead enables you to hit Monday in an execution mode. And that's a really different component than getting to Monday and saying, what's on my plan today? If you take the latter approach, the chance becomes that you're just punching the clock and you're not really invested in your own process and in your journey. So that is a component of planning your training. You want to plan, you want to know your life landscape, you want to understand on the big seasonal component when you're going to be suitably obsessed and when you're going to dial it back and be a bit more of a regular Joe. And we want to understand how to actually look at the fabric of your training week and manage your training week for you to be successful on an ongoing basis. So the final thing to discuss is something that's so important, the basics. What is the baseline, the mantra that I've referred to over the coming weeks? As a performance-driven athlete or fitness enthusiast, I think that there are some very, very basic habits and traits that are gonna create success for you. In fact, there are six. So when we think about endurance training and mindset overall, I wanna reveal the basic habits. And this is the component to enable you to focus on the all critical 95% of your life. There's so much focus and there's so much marketing about the incremental stuff, the last 5%, equipment purchases, special rehab tools, vitamins and supplements, all of that stuff you can pretty much ignore until you have nailed the basics. So this is the 95% that too many people ignore. Number one, understand and execute the intent of your sessions. And that includes the easy sessions. Number two, 
I referenced this before in an earlier episode, be present in your training. Number three, maintain a dynamic mindset. Much of what we talked about today, making sure that you are aligning and synchronizing the best laid plans for your training with the chaos of life and be willing to adjust if necessary without guilt. Number four, fuel following every workout. It was the word of the week. It's a reminder today. Number five, commit to consistent strength and conditioning. We're not going to talk about strength and conditioning today, but it is a critical element and supplement to the bullseye of your endurance training. And finally, number six, adequate sleep quality and quantity. I've already mentioned today, it is your number one performance and recovery tool. We want to embrace to it. If you can sleep, if you can commit to consistent strength training, fuel every workout and then plan and execute with a dynamic mindset and intention because you understand what you're trying to achieve, you will accelerate, you will improve and you will find the results that you want within context of your life. And so that wraps up our couple of episodes around endurance training in a time-starved life. Last week, Sami Inkanen, lots of nuggets and great information and a living case study of thriving in performance relative to business, life and sport. And today, some of the concepts explained. I hope you have a clear path of looking at your life landscape planning when you're going to be a little bit obsessed and when you're not going to be and you're going to be a normal person and that you can actually look at your component of endurance training as just that training i don't want you exercise i want you training and then finally i hope that we manage to eradicate some of the guilt and some of the lack of control that so many people feel in endurance sport and so until next time i bid you adieu thank you very much for joining We're back to it next week with the Purple Patch Pros. Take care. To learn more about Purple Patch Custom Triathlon Programming, our upcoming training camps in San Francisco, Kona, and South Carolina, or to learn more about Matt's latest book, Fast Track Triathlete, visit purplepatchfitness.com. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, rate, review, and share. Thanks.